and welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman, and I'm your co-host. Every week we bring you interviews with makers and artists of all kinds from all over the world that identify as female, non-binary, or transgender. Today's guest is Andrea Gordon of Zatara Crafts. Andrea Gordon, MFA, is a categorical career-leaping nerd that has gone from aspiring musician to sound design to kitchen work and settled on woodworking and art in the last three years. She has been woodturning for the last year and started a tiny business in April 2022, selling pens and other little wood trinkets. She is first-generation USA-born Colombian on one side and third generation Jewish born from Brooklyn on the other side. She married Carla of Puerto Rican uh, Zadie two years ago and they have Stella, a sassy mini schnauzer. Together they bought a 70 year old house last year and have been slowly bringing it and her new garage into the 21st century. Uh, great time chatting with Andrea you will find from our conversation that we really covered a broad spectrum of things um i will say related to life which relates to making and woodworking um and we do talk about her getting uh her new shop space up and running since they moved into uh their new house before hopping into my conversation with andrea I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Matthew from Artigiano Serio, Candice CJ Woodgrain, Lee at Lee Runyon, Annette 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, Women of Woodworking, Kevin, Lefty's Woodshop, Christy, Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spees, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Rachel, Moody Makes, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Brandy, Studio, Obey, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued support, helping to make this podcast happen every week. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to help support as well, please head on over to patreon.com forward slash crafting a revolution and uh, you can join up over there. All right, let's head on into my conversation with Andrea. All right. Well, if you're ready to get like officially started, we can get officially started. I thought we had, but <laughs> well, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Um, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> All right. Well, Andrea. Um, Andrea. Andrea, sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> um. I always like to start by asking my guests to introduce themselves. Would you do that for me? Sure. Um, I am Andrea Gordon. Uh, I live in Norfolk, Virginia with my wife, Carla Villalobos. Um, and we have one dog, Stella, uh, who we are sort of foster adopting from Carla's cousin who's um, overseas. Uh, he's in the Navy and I, I can't speak anymore about that I don't think um but so we we took Stella on um as our sort of ward I guess but she's she's mine I mean for now she's mine um 
And I've been woodworking since 2019, early 2019, but I had dabbled with it on and off for most of my childhood with my grandfather and also in like theater, whenever we had to build sets and stuff like that, I could use a drill, but like, I don't know if that's technically called woodworking or not. Um, <clears throat> I guess, I guess it could be, I mean, you're, if you're building a flat and you're using a saw, that's, that's right. woodworking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I didn't actually start to really like make furniture or do um, like glue ups or boxes or pens or anything like that until until uh, in the last like three years. <clears throat> okay. So, yeah. Um, uh, what else? <laughs> well, I'll 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 give you um, more prompt as it because uh, I like to ask like what's the bigger story of Andrea and like where'd you grow up you know okay mentioned theater already but like you know what were you into kind of growing up um well I'm uh, painfully um very gay so uh played softball um <laughs> I grew up in Pennsylvania playing softball I'm a horse girl which like come on um and <laughs> So I uh, grew up um, sort of working, working at a horse barn um, uh, called uh, Curiosity. So it was a, a Camp Curiosity. Um, and I, I worked there for several, several summers um, in the, in their like stables area. Um, my sister did a whole lot more writing and showing than I ever did, but I think I was in it just for more for fun. Um, although my sister, my, my sibling, uh, sorry, still absolutely loves it. Um, and so, uh, after that, um, I went to university of Pittsburgh, uh, for theater and Spanish, um, which is kind of like cheating. Cause as I said, I'm bilingual. Um, but, um, I mean, there's, yeah, you, you could say you're bilingual. You can be natively, you can be a native speaker in, in a language and still be terrible with grammar. So, uh, that's definitely um, a thing that happened uh, where I got much better with my grammar um, and learned a whole lot more about Spain Spanish versus Latino Spanish. Yeah, yeah I was going to um, say, is when you say grammar, though, is that um, the lack of a better way to get there? Is that like colonization grammar versus? Um, um, no, that's like conjugations okay right subjunctive um preterite tense um plus quam perfecto like you know i just i didn't know that any of those had a name i just knew how to speak it and then they're like yeah you need to um you need to say or you need to um conjugate this verb and i'm like what <laughs> Con yeah conjugate the verb in preterite tense and i'm like what's that they're like past tense i'm like oh okay and then i could like yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But I had I had no idea that any of those things had names or what like uh what like any sort of like verb phrase or things like that. Just it was just all I it was just all in me. I just didn't know how to organize any of it. Mm -hmm. Um so uh my degree in Spanish did help me a lot with that. And now I feel like I'm a much better writer in Spanish too. Mm -hmm. Whereas before I, I was just like speaking it 
um, and not not really understanding where accents are supposed to go and not really understanding how gram like writing grammar or anything like that work. And so now I feel much, much more confident in like writing letters. And, and if I had to write an essay in Spanish, I could write an essay in Spanish. People send me things to translate and I can do it um, without like really thinking too hard, mm-hmm. um, knowing, knowing, looking at a tense in English and saying, okay, well, I need, I need to translate that in the Spanish in a certain way and, and being able to do that. So um, I'm going to pause you there just to ask this question. Cause it's something like, I'm, I'm going to claim ignorance on growing up bilingual speaking it. Did, did you grow up like learning when you were learning to write English, you were writing Spanish at home? Not really. Um, I, so, um, my parents raised me Spanish and, uh, and my, my grand, uh, grandparents live with us at the time. And so it was always Spanish was spoken in the house period. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went to school and I started, and I started to, um, write and read English, um, I never really had an opportunity to write, um, and read Spanish. Mm-hmm. So, so, I could like my mom would say you could just sound it out in Spanish and basically like what it sounds like is what you're going to write. Mm-hmm. And, and it, in some cases it, it works in some cases it doesn't, but beyond that, I had to have somebody over my shoulder whenever I'd write a card to like my grandmother for mother's day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I don't know, I can't, I don't know if I can speak for other bilingual people that didn't grow up writing and reading in Spanish Um, but it does, it does come easier, um, over time. So when I did start to write and read in Spanish in high school, um, I had a really strict teacher who held me to a much higher standard than the rest of the class, which I thought was kind of unfair. Um, but also it made me a better student. So, and she, uh, she really drove into me, um, like being able to read much faster than, than I otherwise could. Um, and that, that helped a lot. That helped a lot, but that came later. I mean, that came in high school. I was already reading, um, really fast in English and writing really fast in English because I was, I had been practicing it since kindergarten, essentially or first grade. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in my head, (laughs) I think, because people are like, do you think in Spanish or do you think in English? I'm like, well, it depends on the context. Because if I'm talking to you in English, I'm going to be thinking in English. But if I'm with my family and we're all talking in Spanish, I'm going to think in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And then if I dream, I it depends on who I'm with, right? In, in the dream, or it depends on what's happening or where I am. So mm-hmm. um, I I dream bilingually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> and. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I guess I, I, I suddenly, suddenly now I'm thinking like, do other people do that? Like do other people who are bilingual or, or no other languages, do they dream in other languages? Yeah. I mean, that's a, I know, I mean, I have several, you know, bilingual friends and I guess I've never, I've never even asked the question of like, when you think, do you think in, you know, one language versus the other? Um, yeah. I guess, you know, I guess that's my privilege of not having to have that question, Um, you know, um, because I'm not bilingual, but yeah. Um, Thanks for entertaining my question, because I was like, 
I just didn't know, um, you know, if at home you were being taught like to to write it at a young age um, at all. Yeah, not not really. I mean, uh, beyond writing cards for people, I, I don't think I ever actually wrote anything longer than like a paragraph until I got to high school and actually had to start writing essays and things like that in Spanish and being and having no clue what I was doing. Um, but eventually. Um, getting better at it and getting better at it fairly quickly. Um, and I think because of all the uh, prior education and because it's a romance language, so it still uses like, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G alphabet with some exceptions, um, like the Enya. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard for me to learn to just sort of cross over into the other. What was hard was um, in eighth grade, I tried to learn French and that didn't go over so well. <laughs> and then in college, as part of my Spanish degree, I had to learn Portuguese and Portuguese and Spanish are very similar. Um, and I got very good at Portuguese, but my, my Portuguese teacher would always make fun of me um, and say that Spanish was a bastardized Portuguese. And I would always say that, no, Portuguese is a bastardized Spanish. <laughs> right. And yeah. And then we would just we would just banter back and forth. Um, but um, now I, I, if I try to recall a lick of Portuguese, I think all I could tell you was what my name is and and like try to recall. But if somebody's speaking Portuguese, Brazilian, I should mm -hmm. I should specify because Portugal Portuguese and Brazilian Portuguese are a, a little different. Mm -hmm. um, my, my teacher, my professor was Brazilian and um, I could understand, like I can, I can comprehend same with like Italian. There's some things I can, I can comprehend. I can pick up from listening um, without like knowing mm -hmm. too, like too much of that language because the languages do have a lot of crossover, but for some reason, French is just mm -mm, over my head. Which is, so the, the, head of the department for my degree and my mm -hmm. um master's program is brazilian um and so she frequently i actually really enjoy it when she's like um like counting things in class like she counts in portuguese um you know and i've noticed like yeah there's definitely a similarity to um spanish um when she's doing that but yeah uh we end up having lots of conversations about Portuguese and what what it comes from. Um, to I always felt listening to her, it always seems like there is a mix to me of like Spanish and French. Like there is a little bit of um, mm -hmm. overlap of those in um, Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese. Yeah, I can. I mean, I can hear it. Uh, just yeah. just the same as like. Um, so I have a I have a friend who's um, Haitian and he speaks uh, Haitian French and also uh, I I I'm not sure and I'm, I don't I don't want to like I think it's like uh, some colloquial language that is a cross between French and something else and mm -hmm. so he so he can speak French French he can speak Haitian French and then he can speak his his local his local dialect i don't understand any of it i don't i can't pick up any similarities yeah. in any of it yeah um but but it's it, it is i mean because of colo and because of colonialism and because of a lot of this um language crossover especially romantic languages and the and the, all the conquerors who came over here and messed things up um 
we we have a lot of like languages that sort of were born from that yeah that weren't necessarily either strictly portuguese or strictly french or strictly spanish yeah well you can think um, of like um creole french yeah um, absolutely you no know, like in uh louisiana mm-hmm. um that's that de- like that's a mix of haitian and um french, french. Yeah. And french and, yeah. yeah yeah and english yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, it's definitely, um, definitely interesting and definitely um, regional. Mm-hmm. Right? There's always a regional flavor to. I never even thought of it, honestly. Again, I, I guess because I didn't privileged enough that I just didn't have to. That I didn't even realize, like, there's even regional differences in English across the U.S. Um, sure, you know, I mean. Yeah, you I mean you even even in English you've got like um we've got what's called standard American which is essentially what they what they speak on the news mm-hmm. and then you've got like the Appalachia dialect and then you've got coastal southern down down the east coast and then you've got the like deep south Alabama and that dialect mm-hmm. and then your Midwest dialect and your Fargo and all of these dialects and all and and the, these are these are just like little little tiny differences in just the sounds that mm-hmm. that we produce in in terms of the regions where we live because of the influence of different languages. And then it's just, I mean it's the same thing in the UK. Like uh, uh, Sophie, um, her her dialect is different from James, right? Because they live in different regions, and um, or different. Uh, from someone in Ireland versus someone in Scotland and the same thing in Spanish. Um, There are different dialects in Spanish too. So um, my partner, Carla, who's from Puerto Rico um, when she's with her family and they're speaking rapid fire, I, I have to struggle to keep up with them. And I'm sure that when she's with us and we're speaking like in, in our Colombian um, dialect in Spanish, that she, she's, she's, uh, well, we're, we're slower and more sing-songy, so she's probably fine, but, um, but, um, <laughs> it is, it is Colombian, Colombian Spanish is a little sing-songy. Um, and, but there are words in her Puerto Rican vernacular that I had no idea existed. And like for us, a bus, right. Is an autobus. Okay. For them, it's a Wawa. And so when she's like, she's like, yeah, it's it's like, let's get in the Wawa. And I'm like, el que? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) Or like, um, so a a super regional difference is what we call trash cans. So in Colombia, we call it caneca. And then in Puerto Rico, they call it safacón. So we were, again, it was just sort of like at at odds. And she's like, she's like, you want me to throw the garbage where? And I'm like, in the caneca, póngalo en el caneca. And I'm like, the what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the worst though is uh caribbean spanish versus south american spanish um we have ahora and ahorita uh, which is now and later right except that in colombia right ahora means now and in puerto rico it could be it could be later and then ahorita could be later for us but it means now for them or you know vice versa yeah, yeah. so like i'd, I'd be like I'd be like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it like ahorita, 
right? Meaning like later. And she'd be like, so now? I'm like, no, later. <laughs> so did you guys speak Spanish at home now? Spanglish. Spanglish. No, Spanglish. Yeah. It depends because sometimes um sometimes we'll be most most of the time it's English, but there'll be times where we need to express each uh, or express ourselves in Spanish. Or if we argue, sometimes it bleeds into Spanish. <laughs> um I don't know why. It's the passion language. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes me want to be a fly on the wall for that. Sorry. <laughs> you really don't. You really don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially because I'm terrible at arguing. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the worst. I just break, I just break down and cry. So and then it just, it gets yeah. more frustrating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to bring in because we, I mean, we, I took us down the rabbit hole of language, but I want to ask. I could talk about I, it all day. Because <laughs> I read, you know, you sent me um, your bio. Mm -hmm. You're, you also grew up Jewish. Mm -hmm. On my dad's side. Yeah. Yeah. So if you look how at. How do those interact with each other? Um, Pretty good, actually. Um, there's not, there, uh, we're not very religious on either side. So it's not like it, uh, it was ever like, we were never at odds with mm -hmm. each other. Um, and also my parents are both scientists, so they never really pushed religion on, on me and my sibling growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, like Alexandra, my sibling, they chose to uh, completely abstain from religion. Whereas because I was raised more closely with my grandparents and my great aunts, all of whom were Roman Catholic, um, I, I went that route, which in hindsight, I, I really shouldn't have. Yes. And, <laughs> and, um, yeah, Roman Catholic and gay don't mix too regret, well. Regret, <laughs> regret, <laughs> panique, yeah. get me out. <laughs> yeah, I got to college before realizing uh, that one, gay and Roman Catholic doesn't mix, and uh, two, pretty much anyone like who is considered other and Roman Catholic doesn't mix. And so I just, I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm pretty sure that I'm still considered a member of the Catholic church, but I don't consider myself a member of the Catholic mm -hmm. church. So my parents, they never pushed religion on either of us. Um, I think that they were just going to let us choose if we wanted to like be Jewish or be Roman Catholic and and um, my Alexandra chose neither and I went one way and then eventually also came up with neither. Mm -hmm. um, and so when people are like, well, do you believe in God and like stuff like that? I'm like, well, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe uh, I'd like to think that perhaps there could be a higher power, but I'm just it, like, I'm just, I'm just a here. Um, yes. So <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to like be the person that like, yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know maybe maybe not um and so i don't know if that's like agnostic or if that's just straight up atheist but i don't think too hard about it yeah um and so um where was this where was this thread going <laughs> where was this thread going um, i had a i had a i had a path growing up jewish yeah. growing yeah. up jewish so Going back to that, um, so my my grandmother and my grandfather on my dad's side, um, they um, would always 
like we would celebrate Jewish holidays with them. Mm -hmm. So we had Hanukkah, we had Passover Seder, right? We had Rosh Hashanah, we had Yom Kippur and stuff like that. And uh, so it it did expose us to um, to a lot of those sort of um, Jewish holidays and uh, traditions so that at least we could um, internalize that in that sort of where we came from, like the tradition where we came from and remember our roots. Um, I did 20, my family did 23 and me. And like, my dad is 99% Ashkenazi Jewish. Um, and so when you look at my, my genealogy chart, it's like 50% Ashkenazi Jewish. And then like a whole bunch of other percentages of other on my mom's side. Um, like mostly some uh some indigenous some uh spanish and some like tiny percentages of a bunch of other stuff and so um it was important for me Mm -hmm. and it was important for my parents for at least to raise us with that so that we could know where we came from Mm -hmm. um and uh remember remember those traditions and have those experiences and the same thing i mean my mom having my grandparents around uh, having that Colombian culture too, and really like eating arepas and having them for breakfast every morning and having like Colombian food, speaking Spanish, knowing, knowing that side of the family too. Like they really wanted us to know where we came from. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, and so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that like we were ever at odds. My mom and dad were married by both a priest and a rabbi, which I thought was really nice. Um, Carla and I were married in a courthouse during the Panini. So uh, we had one old guy who was like, let's do this. And <laughs> with like a, like a mask, just yeah. like, all right, so you guys are going to get married today. And like, yeah, yes, we're going to get married today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can't, we canceled, we canceled our wedding in 2020. We were going to get married in uh, October, October of 2020. Uh, we canceled it and we ended up uh, moving it up to September 25th, which is coming up next weekend. So that'll be our second, our second anniversary, wedding anniversary. Nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I give, I give Carla a lot of credit too, because even uh, here we do, we still participate in a lot of the traditions that uh, I participated in and she participated in. So over the holidays, there's a lot of things that we do um, that, came from her side of the family and also things that came from my side of the family. So I still have a menorah. I know the prayer. I still, I still light the candles when it's Hanukkah and she uh, totally supports that and, and wants to be a part of it and is always present for that. So um, I'm, I am really, I am really grateful uh, to have learned those things and then to have a partner that also like wants to participate and be supportive for of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, thank you for kind of expanding on that too, because that was going to be a little bit of my question, right? Because like being, being Jewish is both an ethnicity and a religion. Um, mm-hmm. So you can, you can be ethnically Jewish and not be religiously Jewish. And so I appreciate you expanding on that. Um yes. Yeah, so I I still consider myself to be Jewish, um, even though I am not uh, religiously Jewish, Mm -hmm. uh, strictly speaking. Um, But 
I like, I still identify, Mm -hmm. um, as, as being Jewish. Um, I don't identify as being Roman Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Mistakes were made. Uh, and that's and that's no shade on anybody who is Roman Catholic. I have friends and I know family who are Roman Catholic. I res- I have res- heavy amounts of respect for them, and they have um, probably a uh, healthy, distant respect for me, and that's fine. Um, I am not going to push uh, atheism or religion or anything on anyone, um, and I don't expect anyone to do the same to me. So, um, but. Like, I don't, I didn't want to throw shade. Yeah. Um, even, <laughs> even though I, I clearly was. Um, but yeah, still trying to be mindful and respectful of people who are Roman Catholic. Uh, I, I get it. I get it. But I also, I, I'll say, I'll add in my own at least sentiment because I, I grew up uh, Lutheran. Um, and it took me a long while to realize that Lutheranism and uh, gay do not mix. Um, and, you know, all of my family um, is still Lutheran. And it's definitely like a, it's an emotional hardship. It's one of those like, you know, you like you said, not trying to throw shade, just being respectful. Um, but also wanting the same in in respect and that's not always the case that is it's not given (laughs) the the reality is that it's not um as much as we would like a quid pro quo at the yeah 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 Yeah. so it it makes it complicated um i bet yeah i'm i there are several times you know that i have said to my wife sometimes i really hate being the better person (laughs) it really hurts sometimes to be the better person yeah Um, yeah and that's just the reality of it um i always try to i always try to lead with kindness because i expect kindness in return Mm -hmm. and so or or like not not uh not being judgmental of anyone or anything like that and just trying to just trying to like live life in my own space and being respectful and kind to everyone else, hoping that someday somebody will, right. will be kind and <laughs> right and respectful to me. And, you know, you know, for the most part, the people that I have met, um, especially other, the other makers through Instagram and stuff like that, um, for the most part, um, I, I feel like I have, I'm a part of a small community of, of friends and makers that see me and respect me. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like they all feel the same way. Yeah. And so, and so like, that's, that's my religion, yeah. right? This, this little community, that little, that little maker community, that's, that's my, that's my religion. That's my community. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I definitely can second that. Um, it feels like it took a very long time to find my people. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, you know, happy to have done so. Do you. Do you feel like you were always going to kind of find this community or what do you think influenced you the most to get into like. The the maker uh, side of it, because there's all kinds of sex of like craft yeah. and like, you know 
fine furniture making and all these yeah. kinds of things. Like, how do you feel like you got to this? Um, Accidentally. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I tripped over like a cable and then just sort of like someone was there and was like, Oh, here, um, let me give you a tip. And then I just kept talking to them and they're like, Hey, you should check this person out. And then like, I went and I checked that person out and then we started talking. And then like from there, it was just sort of like, I don't, I don't even know if I could like pinpoint it, but it's like essentially like Sophie or like Lindsay led me to Sophie and Sophie led me to Lindsay. And like someone led me to James who led me to Nate, who led me to like all these people. And now all of us sort of like, so like there's a people that I consider closest to who I talk to regularly and who, um, you know, we all check in with each other. And then there's uh, artists that I follow and I interact with and stuff like that, just because the more you interact with people's pages now, the yes. uh, right, the better it is for them. Um, and so I try, I try as much to do that as much as I can and knowing that, you know, they, they reciprocate for mm -hmm. me. So it's like that meme that's like, you know, uh, this is, goes out to the four people right. who follow me, <laughs> yeah. who actually follow me, yep. who actually watch this. Right. <laughs> yep. I know who those four people are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that I actually feel that stronger now since like it was only two months ago when like, you know, I had one of those weird videos that went like viral and like my followers went through the roof. Mm -hmm. um, what does that feel like? Um, to me, it felt like pressure and um, a lot of like imposter syndrome and a lot of like, okay, now I really have an audience that I really have to like be accountable to and like you know meet their expectations and I feel like honestly I feel like it put me back at the beginning where I end up in my head every time I'm posting more focused on like how am I gonna get like the views and the engagement and all of that when I'm making the post versus I had finally kind of gotten to a point of like eh, those who follow me like are following me because they like know me or like me or yeah. whatever and I'm just yeah. gonna post like what feels right for me right now versus yeah. like trying to read people's minds and go okay what do you want type of thing um so that's been it's honestly been a struggle um and I miss like the engagement um because it did finally feel like a good like really close-knit like group and that group hasn't gone away like they're still there interacting mm -hmm you know but it's just not the I don't know it doesn't feel the same like honestly I wish I could go back to <laughs> like thousand followers would be good <laughs> hey. that's what like so I'm, I'm at uh, around 840 or something like that now and it, it's literally been like the slowest burn possible and like I'm I'm always nervous of like getting that uh, like, so finishing my garage and starting to actually post more regularly and stuff like that. And then building that up and feeling that pressure as opposed to just doing it for fun, which yeah. is what I've been doing. So anytime that I post anything and, and it's like, and my, my Instagram is not strictly woodworking. It's my yeah. family, right? It's, it's me, my family, what I'm doing, mm -hmm. um, what I'm just, what Instagram was originally intended for, which is what I'm eating. 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> pictures of food. Right. <laughs> um, or what I made uh, yeah. in the kitchen, um, not necessarily in the shop, but also in the shop. And so um, I'm worried that if I ever do get to that point, where I have a larger following that is only there for the woodworking. Do I continue, like, especially with a, a broader public yeah. eye, do I continue to post things about my family? Because I don't, I don't think I want that kind of exposure, especially for people that maybe don't also want to be part of right. that exposure. Yeah. And so I, I had, I kind of have to figure out, I'd have to find that balance too. And that's, that's kind of what worries me. It's why, it's why I asked, like, what does it feel like to blow up and, uh, and then I think I think it also was because like like you said like I was at a, a very slow burn right like it took over yeah. five years to get to the eight thousand like I was like yeah little teeny bits at a time just going chucking along and and then all of a sudden it's like eight thousand to forty thousand and like overnight you know like thousands a day I'm like what the yeah (laughs) I don't know what's going on yeah Um, and and so yeah it it was just like a lot and I mean there is a benefit right there is a benefit because as something business-wise looking like it has always been my intent to in addition to making and hopefully selling work like and becoming a designer and like designing for like I wanted to in addition to that be a content creator and have this social media side because I want backups like yeah if another um you know recession happens and people aren't buying I want another form of like income um because I want to be self-sustainable so like it's always been about like there's definitely a business aspect to all of this And I will say it's led to more people reaching out, you know, for like collaborating and and getting real money (laughs) to be paid to make some content. Um, And that is a benefit. But then it also comes with more stress because I'm like, I know they're looking at my numbers. And if my engagement on the stuff that I'm getting paid for by them isn't reaching what they expect based on my numbers, they're not coming back. Like, yeah. You know, so it's like, I, I also don't want to be that. So I don't know. Uh, I feel like I've, I'm starting to strike a balance where, and I actually took this from Lindsay where it's like, I feel like the real followers are the ones who engage with my stories. And so like, I post a lot more stuff now to my stories than I do like in my feed and, and that continues to work, right? Like that mm-hmm. is where I'm getting the real engagement. People are like asking questions on what I post in the stories or just like responding or, or whatever. And so I think I'm going to be more focused on like, that's where I'm going to continue to find my community and build like the actual community. Yeah. Um, but I think my deepest fear is to be, is, is to be seen as not helpful and a fraud. Those are my two biggest like fears on social media. Well, I don't, I don't think you got to worry too much about that. Cause all you do is help people. I mean, even just, even just this podcast or even just engaging with other makers and stuff like that, like you, you spread the love. So, uh, I, I don't think you got to worry about those two fears. I think, I think you'll, you're okay. 
Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that will ever resonate on the internal uh, dialogue that happens in my head. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't practice what I preach. <laughs> I give I give out a really good advice that I don't take myself. <laughs> yeah, that's probably like all of us. I'm pretty sure that's like all of us, right? Like, yeah, th- that's nicer univ- to other people than we are to ourselves. It's a universal trait. It's yeah. a universal trait. <laughs> Oh. The other use, the other universal trait is having about five million jobs that you need to do, and then not doing any of them in favor of doing something for fun or something yes. else. Yeah, yeah, that's. Yes. I feel like that is. I have I have only seen that in the maker community, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as like as a universal thing that literally everyone does. Yes. Oh yeah, you walk out into my garage right now, and there is a crap load that needs to get done. But I'm like, if I can actually find five minutes to spend out there, it's not going to be on any of that right now. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, we talked before before I hit record about like the whole, you said the mental health bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's me like big time right now with, with stress is like, if I'm going to be able to set aside literally just five minutes to go out there, it's going to be to do something that I want to do. Yeah. Um, not something that I have to do. Uh, though I am seriously, I am in serious need of some power carving therapy. Um, <laughs> it's been too long since I touched an angle grinder. Uh, so that needs to happen sooner rather than later. <laughs> that's why, that's why on, um, was it, I think it was Thursday. I had a day off and I went into the shop fully intending to do projects that I needed to get done. But then I, I was in there and I was like, I don't want to feel like I have to do homework. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I hadn't been in the shop for a while. It'd been a while since I, I'd approached a lathe. And so I was like, I'm just going to round out some old stock that I have and um, just cut pieces off and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then that's, that's how, that's how I ended up making, you know, a couple of cute little worry coins and um, one, one, two of them out of lignum, one of them out of East Indian rosewood and the other one out of um, Claro walnut that I like, I put a little blue, like, uh, um, pin in the center. It's like plugged it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little blue leftover from, um, a maple burl that was left over from a pen. So, and I had, I had fun doing that and it was, it was needed. It was mm-hmm. needed. I needed to just go in there, do something simple and do something creative that I could just feel like I was easing, yeah. easing back into it. Um, and I haven't been in the shop as much lately because of the job job. And also because I've been working on getting this garage up and running. Mm-hmm. So um, getting in the shop, having some shop therapy was important for me in that moment versus finishing the jobs that uh, one of which is about to be overdue. Um, but I'll, I'll get to it. I have a day off on Tuesday this week and then another couple days later in the week, I'll finish it then. I think that's now, what I'm, I think that's that what I'm missing right now is uh, days off. So pre-school, you know, pre-getting, going back to school, um, like I had the job job and I felt like this is taking up so much time and I really want to mm-hmm. be in the shop. But I still kind of like you, I still managed to like work in like one to two days a week that were like just mine. Um, and now I do not have that luxury at all like my my entire time um is school and school work and I remember yep 
even just struggling just to get make sure I get family time in um yeah that's a that's the biggest struggle right now so it's kind of like you know what what I need is definitely going on the back burner right now and I know that will only last so long before I hit a (laughs) I hit a burnout but yes burnout yeah (laughs) know the signs Uh that's for everyone Don't oh, make I think mistakes. you said we messaged back and forth and you said, yeah, what's beyond burnout? I don't even know what beyond burnout is. It's not pretty. No. It's not pretty. It's like sleeping for four days straight. That's what yeah. that is. Sleeping for four days straight, only drinking and eating and like using the bathroom when you have to. And then yeah. like after the four days, wondering what happened. Yeah. And then everybody trying to get a hold of you because you've missed four days of school, four days of work, right. four days. Yeah but needing, needing it. Mm-hmm. I can't stress that enough. <laughs> but absolutely needing it. And the thing is that you should never get to that point. You should never allow yourself to get to that point because it is unhealthy. Um, of course, when you're 23, 22, 23 years old and you're in grad school in Boston, it doesn't really, yeah, doesn't, yeah you don't recognize it. You're just like, yeah, I can do this. I'm, I'm young and vigorous. I can handle it. No, that's what I've been telling myself lately, though, is just like uh, grad school, young person's game, not not a 40 something year old game. <laughs> that's what I am I'm learning, uh, though, I will say uh, parenting skills have come in handy uh, in many ways. Oh, um, expand on that. <laughs> um, in the sense of number one, uh, I'm not too far removed from baby toddler stage where like as a parent you get no sleep um and so you know getting back in the swing of no sleep is like not terrible yeah number two because um for my program as a grad student you teach and you teach right away with your first semester um being able to handle problem students very easily just with um parental type techniques even though you're teaching you know like you said like undergrads who are like 19 20 years old who you would expect Mm -hmm. more from (laughs) gen Gen z man gen z (laughs) that that is a i have have a couple cousins who are gen z and um i constantly ask them for advice because like they kept telling us that like millennials were going to be the ones that were going to like change the world for the better. Nah, yeah. dude, it's, it's yeah. Gen Z. Yeah. yeah. They are, they are like, they are hard. Like, yeah, <laughs> they are hardened. They are wizened. Like yeah. they are, they got it. This is true. I don't even, I was trying and to they think. prioritize mental health. Yes. I don't even know um, what generation like kids are, if they've named it yet. I don't know. I- I think the newest is alpha. I could be wrong. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. But I look at that, like my oldest is nine and I look at him and his friends and I hear other parents say like, oh, you're, they're worried about the next generation, blah, blah. And I was like, are you kidding me? These kids are like phenomenal. Like (laughs) I phenomenal in both good and bad ways. And what I mean by that is like, they um they will save the world because they have to unfortunately because yeah. of what we're leaving behind and number two um 
they will save the world because they have to like they have a lot of weight on their shoulders and they know it and yeah like, isn't that isn't that yeah. unfortunate that yeah. our like i remember as a kid my parents always talking about trying to leave a better world for their kids and mm-hmm. this was like i think back when clinton was president yeah and um like at that point i think our country was in like a surplus and like everything was going all right and my and like my parents were excited and and um they were I, I, and i was i was young i was yeah. uh i don't remember so um i just remember them having that conversation about leaving a better world mm-hmm. and then like everything going to shit after yeah. that <laughs> everything going to shit after that <laughs> I think, though, I mean, to be fair to them, I think it's more we all just started, like, with each next generation, you know, younger generation. We all realized that it wasn't great back then. It was more like the blinders have just been pulled off. And now, like, now it's like, oh, no, you can't trick me anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I actually see what's going on. And I wonder how that's going to, like, continue and, like, how that's going to pervade the next generation like what are their blinders like what are they going to see that we don't see Mm -hmm. right now um because like i know right now we're all trying to like we're all trying to prioritize prioritize mental health and stuff like that but what what is what is what are they going to see that we don't like we're setting some we're setting something up but then how are they going to make that better how are they going to realize that maybe that wasn't the best idea and now their idea is going to be what fixes, you know, X, Y, Z. And then the next generation after that, like what I want to know, like in four generations, how many blinders have been removed and what life is going to be like in four generations? Or is it going to be like Star Trek? And like, (laughs) (laughs) is it going to be like utopia? Yeah. uh, That's the one benefit I will say I get from uh, taking art history right now is realizing like, uh, all the patterns we're seeing now have existed forever, um, oh, yeah. just in different ways, shapes, and forms. History is same, cyclical. Yeah, it's the same themes and the same undertones. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think at least uh, uh, in my kiddos' case, the things right now that they are worried the most about is um, climate change and what That's something that, everyone should be worried about. Yeah, and what that means in reality. Um, And I will say, like, they push us, my wife and I, um, even though we're, you know, I would say, well educated and continue to always be curious and continue to, like, self-educate ourselves on all these things and very aware of climate change issues, um, they continue to push us even, even further. um, Yeah which I appreciate. That's why I'm like, I'm not worried. <laughs> like in that sense, like the kids got us, like they're okay. They will be okay. And they, um, they will make huge changes, uh, in the evolution of people. I definitely feel like they're kind of the next evolution. Um, which so is- we're like Pikachu and they're going to be like, yes, they're gonna be yeah. Raichu, right. They're going to, and gonna my evolve. son would completely get that reference. <laughs> We're Charmanders and they're going to be like Charizards out yes, there. Yes. Just like, yep. <laughs> I'm such a nerd, dude. You know, you know what the first thing I am required to cut on my new CNC once it's actually like together? A Pokemon, <laughs> please. 
Yes, yeah. there will be a Pokemon. Which one? Um, he likes Piplup, and so it will probably be a giant Piplup. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Carla, a few months ago, got a Sand Shrew tattoo on her thigh. <laughs> now I see what you two are to know. <laughs> <laughs> We were made for each other. We were cut from the same cloth. We were like, you know, two two peas two peas in a pod that like was the only pod growing on the on the on the plant. Like we, <laughs> yin and yang and all that stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so we have we do have a few minutes left, and I want to like really ask more about when you're talking about getting your shop up and running. That's because you moved, right? So you have- yeah a new space yeah um were you out of a garage before or i was actually working so i was working out of the um um, so his name's sean i was working out of sean's garage and um he's um uh he has his whole business set up here in uh in over in virginia beach i'm in norfolk now they're just neighboring counties essentially um and um so i was just i was working out of his shop um for uh, a few years and also working with him and uh, as, as an employee, but also sort of as uh, a friend, friend and designer. Um, And um, we did, we did work very well together. uh, But when I, when I wanted to sort of go off on my own um, and he had always, he had, he had sort of encouraged it. Mm -hmm. um, So felt sort of supported from that end. Um, So when we were looking for houses. One of the more important things that we were looking for was um, it needed to have a space that I could work out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it narrowed our search in a time when the market was like hot. Yeah. Um, really hot. And the interest rates were just starting to creep up. Mm-hmm. And so we still, we still got a really good deal. Like we, we got a really good deal in the house we bought, even though it's like 70 years old, had has good bones Mm -hmm. and so um the last year we've spent like remodeling the kitchen um and now we're going to go to the garage next year the project is going to be the back deck like we've have like house phases Mm -hmm. and like how we're going to eventually like get the bathrooms done and all that stuff through the next like five to ten years um but one of the most important things for us um, was that it needed to have a garage space, space, either attached to the house or detached, preferably detached, which is luckily that's, that's what we got here. And it's, it's a good size garage. It's, um, it fits one car, but like it is deep Mm -hmm. and, um, and wide. So even though it has the door for the one garage for the one car, it really could fit too. Um, but, it's, it's like, it's perfect for what I'm going to do, which mm-hmm. essentially is just wood turning and woodworking. Mm-hmm. And I have almost everything that I need except for a table saw. And I've been sort of like, uh, on Facebook marketplace and Craigslist trying to find like a decent used table saw, um, until, um, and until like I can afford to get it and then mm-hmm. get, get a used one. Um, but otherwise I've got like a little lathe set up. It's ready to go. I have got my dust collector all and all these tools I bought used. Like I don't have a single new tool except <laughs> for maybe my, like my Milwaukee drills, which I got for Christmas from my dad, uh, from, from my da- uh, mom and dad, actually San- Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I believe. 
Yeah. <laughs> it appeared under the tree. So That's right. <laughs> um, those are the those are the only brand new tools I own. Everything else uh, is well new to me, but used. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily there was a, a gentleman who um, he was like selling everything in his in his garage. I got to him a little late, though, because he had a table saw and he had like a joiner and stuff, but he had sold those things. But I got his like Laguna dust collector and I got his his lathe and I got his band, his jet bandsaw. And so I, f- I felt like I had made off like a bandit yeah. with uh, all those tools um, that he he cut me a good price on. And um, and so that's like that's what that's my starting point. So I'm I'm like I'm I'm good. Yeah. Like I can get away with not having a table saw until mm-hmm. uh, until I can get one. Um, and so I'm like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm like on the edge of the cliff. I just like the electricians coming this week. And then it's just going to be like, boop. And then, <laughs> and then the next few months is probably just going to be me, uh, in the garage sweating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at some point, I know my dad wants to come down from Pennsylvania and help me out. Um, there's a lot of ducting to be done. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of, uh, probably organization, reorganization and re-reorganization, um, until I figure out what the most efficient way to have the shop laid out. And then I'll probably get to like a certain point and then like lay everything out again. Yeah. Um, re rearrange everything. Uh, and of course everything needs to be on wheels. It all needs to be modular because, um, the plugs that I'm getting, like, it's not going to be a permanent home for like the bandsaw. So right. I have to, I have to be able to move it and shift it and things like that. And it's big and heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm five, three. Um, and I'd like to think I'm strong, but I'm not like, you know, lifting a 14 inch bandsaw strong. So I'm with uh, you there. My, I have a Laguna 14 inch bandsaw and it's on wheels and everything. And that's still that thing. I was like, Oh, like moving that thing around is, no small task um no. i've got it in a place right now where it's like i can just kind of like pivot it out and use it and then pivot it back okay. in <laughs> um and then uh i have a workbench where it's going to be like you know the drill press like scroll saw like l- things that like i use but not regularly yeah. that'll just be like when i need them i'll just like pull them out and then put them back um so that's uh that's that essentially but uh i'll be i'll probably be posting all about that uh as as i go along mostly in my stories um because my my posts are getting fewer and far between (laughs) and like i'm still i'm still trying to get the hang of reels and i know i'm behind on that sophie sophie helped me make my first reel like months ago. Um, and then, uh, it was for like a coffee table I was making here for the house, uh, which is still in the shop. Cause I haven't finished it. Um, <laughs> I understand and, that. That's real. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was from a, it was from a hickory that an old, old growth hickory that fell down in, um, in South Carolina near, near, uh, near the house that we have down there, my parents' house that they have down there. And um, it, the house is near a marsh. And so the, when the hurricane came through, this hickory fell over and then they had it cut up and they saved two uh, cookie cookie slabs from it. And I have both of them. And one of them I flattened. Um, 
amazingly on a lathe because we had no other way to, we had no other way to flatten it. So like, imagine this big, like four foot round, like hickory slab that we anchored to a lathe. And then we had a router um, on a, on the sliding. Yeah. Yep. And we were just like going back and forth as this thing was just spinning really slowly. And we were just like shaving it off just a little bit at a time until we got that side flat. And then we flipped it over and did the other side. And I was like, this would have been so much easier if like, I just had um, like a sled, like a, yeah. like a router yeah. sled, yeah. but you, you make do with what you got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then of course you, you do the rest by hand and, mm-hmm. uh, and hope for the best. Um and so the hickory had a big old crack running down it. So, you know, I, I stabilized it with some red heart uh, bow ties as like a little mm-hmm. uh, accent. And, um, and like I said, I, I still have to figure out the legs for it because it's just sitting in the shop now collecting dust and um, in, in my mentor shop collecting dust. And um, I, and a lot of dust because he works in there a lot. And yes. so it's, it, there's like a, there's like a, a layer, a nice of, layer on it. Of like walnut and like <laughs> sapili and maple <laughs> dust. That's like this, this thick. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I, again, I lost the thread. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the point is that eventually the shop will get up and running and people go. will see it. So there you go. <laughs> The end. Goodbye. <laughs> Sayonara. <laughs> Good talk. Good talk. Um, actually, see, that's perfect. You did that perfectly for me. Now oh, have we come thing. to? Have we come to a close? Oh, okay. We have. <laughs> we have come to a close. Um, <laughs> but I want to let you uh, have a chance to let people know, like, how to to find you and follow along with you and all that good stuff. Instagram uh, at Zatara Crafts. Um, Zatara is actually a reference to, um, the Count of Monte Cristo. Um, the protagonist Edmond Dantes is referred to by his smuggler and pirate friends as Zatara. And in, uh, in both the movie and the book, they say Zatara is, uh, is, uh, Spanish for driftwood. It's not. Zatara is a small boat, but I, I stick, I stick with the driftwood. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, and and Count of Monte Cristo is my favorite, one of my favorite books. So I figured Zatara Crafts works just fine. Zatara Creations was taken. Okay, so <laughs> fantastic. But yeah, uh, Zatara Crafts, uh, Etsy, uh, same name. Yeah, yeah, and the the link, the links in the bot, the links in the bot bio bio. <laughs> There you go. Uh, and I'll include the links in the show notes for the episode. So make it uh, nice and easy for everyone to find you and follow along. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And I really uh, enjoyed chatting with you today. Yeah, me too. Uh, you were right. I had no reason to be nervous, even though I was nervous the whole time. <laughs> See, no reason. And then made worse by the enormous amount of caffeine I consumed. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So again, that was Andrea Gordon of Zatara Crafts. And I will include the links on how you can um, follow along with her on social media, as well as find her Etsy shop. So you can check that out. 
Uh, you can find those in the show notes for the episode. And the best place to find that is the description for the episode in your podcast app. Or if you happen to be watching this on the Freeman Furnishings YouTube channel, you can check the description box down below. Please follow along with the podcast on Instagram at Crafting a Revolution. Um, all one word, no space, dashes, or anything like that, at Crafting Revolution. You can say hi to your hosts, myself, Katie Freeman, at Freeman Furnishings, and co-host Katie Thompson, at Women of Woodworking. If you're enjoying the show, again, please consider joining uh, as a patron over on patreon.com forward slash crafting a revolution. You can also head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Shout out and thank you to Ashley Minnie who wrote and produced the theme song for the podcast. Uh, forever grateful for that uh, because you rock. And uh, next week we will actually be missing a week because, you know, life happens and um but the week after that we will be back on let me get the make sure i get the date right we will be back on friday october 7th with a brand new episode in the meantime feel free um if you're new especially if you're new to the podcast just started listening take this opportunity maybe to go back to the very first or some of the first few podcasts so you can maybe have a better understanding of the evolution of the podcast overall um, in the meantime, until October 7th, uh, as always, let's go craft a revolution. She, her, them, they got something they wanna say. Solution for the toxic masculinities. Pollution is the constant evolution. Of-